Thank you, worship leaders and singers for that. That was awesome. Grateful for you guys. Um, I am getting myself organized here. You know, I don't feel as busy as Wade mentioned, which I'm grateful for. I am busy, but I don't feel busy, which is, I think, God's mercy. And so as we get into God's word today, I want us to first open up with um, bringing his word through prayer. Let's pray. Father, we come before you grateful for Jesus. We come in his name that you would speak to us, Father. We know that you have the words of eternal life, that your spirit um, convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come, that you are calling a people out of darkness into your wonderful light, and that we have been called to walk in your steps. Lord, we know that at times your word, as it says in Revelation, is like honey, and it tastes good, and we love it. Father, but there's other times where we take your word and it is bitter, Father. It is tough. And yet we know, whether with the honey or with the bitterness, that you are forming a people, Father. We trust you. We know that you are good. You have revealed yourself through your scriptures. You've revealed yourself through our experiences. And we are grateful for who you are, Jesus. Help us. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us in the ways we fall short, Father. Have mercy on us on the ways where we desire to do the good, but the evil is right behind us, Father. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the body of believers. Thank you for the communion that we get to share with you, Father. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right. So as many of you know, I like sports. I like um football. I like basketball. I played both of them growing up. I was a better basketball player than I was a football player, but I was pretty decent relative to my community in both of those things. And um, when I was in 10th grade, one of my good friends who were in 8th grade was playing for our, our little league, and he was a very talented player, and he was breaking records in our little league. And then one day, one of the big high school coaches approached the whole team and was given a speech about who he has been as a coach and what his team has done. He had shared how they won two state titles in the last six years, how over 20 Division I um, football athletes have come through their program in the last three years. And he was just sharing how there is a brotherhood, a tightness here in his football program. And he was saying that he makes it his point to help every athlete reach their full potential as athletes and as people. Now, you tell that to any um, 13-year-old and 14-year-old, you know, you want to, to reach your full potential. You want to do incredible things. And so I remember my friend, he comes and he's like, man, I just heard this coach speak and he was talking about this amazing thing. And instead of going to the high school he was supposed to, he said, I want to go to that high school. And so he um, tried out and needless to say, it was one of the hardest things he's ever done in his entire life. The rah-rah speech that the coach gave did not mention the necessarily hard part that he had to endure. It was extremely challenging. At varying points, he saw so many people quit, and he contemplated whether he wanted to quit or not as well. He made the team. 
but the practices were so intense. He would come back. We would see him. He lived across the street from me and he would just clonk out every single time. He would come around 530 after practice and he would just go straight to sleep, wake up at nine, do his homework all back over again. And he just looked miserable, honestly. (laughs) But something happened between the start of their football, football training in May to the beginning of the season. He started having more energy as the days went on. And I remember a group of us asked us, has practice gotten easier? And he's like, no, it's just as challenged, but I'm changing. I'm adjusting to this. This is actually starting to make sense to me. And I was like, so do you, is, is the coach any nicer now that you're about to say? He's like, no, he's just as intense, but it's a lot of fun. We have a brotherhood. That summer formed something in us. He didn't use the word form. He said the, the, the summer brought us together as a family, and now we're, we're, we have our eyes set on a state championship. Well, in his four years in high school, they did end up getting a state championship. He did end up getting a Division I scholarship, and he played in the NFL for seven years. The coach delivered. The challenge is, a lot of times, when we hear Jesus and we hear about the amazing things of Jesus' ministry that we all want, that we all long for, sometimes we overlook the parts of Jesus' ministry where he said, this is actually going to be sort of tough in this life. This is actually going to be kind of challenging to live this way in this life. You know, I, 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 you know, everyone, anyone in here loves dessert. We all love dessert. And we love the dessert components of the scriptures. <laughs> you know, the part that just makes you feel good. You walk away like, I love Jesus. And then there's other parts of the scriptures where you're like, man, that wasn't dessert. That was blah. Whatever blah is. You think about the worst entree in your, your culture. And it's something like that. And it's challenging. You know, Jesus' ministry in many ways has that fill. The promises and blessings of the kingdom fill many of us with great joy and encouragement. But on the other hand, the process to become what Jesus is calling us to be and to obtain the promises laid out require intentional devotion. The way of life is found in the ministry of Jesus. Let's go to Luke chapter 12, verse 49 through 53. What Jesus is experiencing in his ministry right now, he started off with a bang and now he's on his way closer and closer to Jerusalem. And I think if you were reading this along or if you were one of the 12 in the crowd, you're starting to realize, man, he's not as popular as he was when he first began. People are not connecting with him the way they once did. And so I think Jesus is helping the disciples kind of put in context what their ministry is and what to expect out of their ministry what to expect out of jesus ministry so let's pick up here in chapter 12 verse 49 i have come to bring fire on the earth and how i wish it was already kindled but i have a baptism to undergo and what constraint i am under until it's complete do you think i came to bring peace on earth no i tell you but the vision From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two, two against three. They will be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Some of you are thinking like, that is my marriage life in a nutshell. (laughs) You're like, Jesus prophetically called it. But I don't think he's talking about whatever potentially could be plaguing your life unless it's being plagued around the gospel of Jesus. Condemnation or salvation? You know, when we talk about condemnation, that's a heavy topic. 
I think everyone who stands and talks about God's word should approach it with such uh, fear and trembling. But understand that this is a component of the ministry of Jesus. But we want to always read Jesus ministry in context. We want to read what Jesus is actually teaching in his intended context. And so when he says, I've come to bring fire on the earth, that imagery is one that the Israel prophets use frequently in reference to judgment. Let's see, look at one example in Isaiah 66, verse 16. Isaiah 66, verse 16. For with fire and with his sword, the Lord will execute judgment on all people and many people and many will be and many will be those slain by the Lord. You're like, wow. You know, Isaiah, this part of Isaiah is all about the hope and the restoration and all. It's all going good. And then Isaiah throws this part in there like it's going to be tough. Here's the reality. We live in 2023 and I recognize teachings that talk about judgment can be very challenging, especially challenging to the portrait of Jesus that many of us have in our hearts and in our heads and what we've experienced. I also recognize not everyone, but the vast majority of people are relatively decent. You know, do they truly deserve the judgment that people potentially think. I mean, with the exception of people like Adolf Hitler, who I think universally everyone is like, that guy could get condemned. Most people are like, "Mm, should there really be a judgment? Should there really be a judgment because I lie? Should there really be a judgment because I have sex outside the covenant of marriage? Should it really be a judgment because I get drunk here and there? Should it really be a judgment because I swindle here and there? Should there really be a judgment? You know, at its core, the million dollar question is, who does God or Jesus think they are to judge my life and essentially remove my freedom, which is a core American value that we have? You know, Charles Taylor, um, Canadian philosopher, says this interesting quote when he's talking about our modern era. He says, let each person do their own thing and one shouldn't criticize the other. The other's values because they have a right to live their own life as you do. The only sin which is not tolerated is intolerance. And so what is Charles Charles Taylor alluding to? Charles Taylor is saying, you know, we live in a present age where, man, let's not tell anyone what they can or can't do, what's wrong with them. The only thing that we need to do is do whatever it is we want. And that seems to be self-evident and intuitive. But I would argue that it's not self-evident and it's not intuitive. Freedom in the modern definition has provided a lot of good, a ton of good. Where the, the progress that has been made in women's rights, the progress that has made in um, minority rights, all of that has come from this identity of I am an individual and there's some certain things that I'm entitled to as a person, as a member of this culture and society. A lot of good. But then there's also a dark side of it. Well, you cast off all constraints. And in reality, there's no such thing as total freedom. No such thing. To get whatever freedom you want, you have to give up something. Something is being given. So now what's really happening is real freedom comes from a strategic loss of some freedoms in order to gain others. It's not the absence of constraints, but it is choosing the right constraints and the right freedoms to lose. This is what Tim Keller is talking about when he, when he looks at the present moment that we're in. So what Jesus has on offer, I believe, is a quality of life known as eternal life that is worth it. 
I love what Jesus has on offer. I love the fruit that I see in his life, and I love the fruit that is bearing in my life. I look at Jesus, and I do recognize there are certain things that I can't do anymore that I used to do. And as I mature, I realize I don't even want to do the things that I used to do anymore anyway. But every person has to make that decision. And so the question, who is God in Jesus to even make a statement like this? God is the creator of heaven and earth. Jesus is the Lord who has risen from the dead, who has conquered death. I trust their component. I trust their wisdom in calling me to trust him. But still, this doesn't sound like the Jesus that gets promoted, right? Come to bring fire on the earth. That's not fired up. Like he's bringing fire on the earth. Like, oh, here it is. You know, in Luke chapter two, when the angels were announcing that Jesus was coming, one of the things that they said is, don't be afraid. I bring good news that will be a cause of great joy for all the people. That's Luke chapter two, verse 10 through 14. If you want to read along, he's like, I bring good news, a joy for all the people. Then he turns around 10 chapters later, fire on the earth, man. (laughs) Did the angels get the message wrong? Did they not really understand what he was up to when they announced that? You know, Jesus in, in that same chapter says, verse 14 of that same kind of context, glory to God in the highest heavens on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. He'd be like, you did come to bring peace. You're the prince of peace. We got a song that says you're the prince of peace. So what are you doing? Why are you, are you having a moment of character relapse? Do you know who you are? <laughs> Jesus is completely consistent with who he is. But we got to read in context. So fire on the earth. You know, the two brothers, um, John and James, sons of thunder. Jesus was in his ministry. Let's go to Luke chapter 2, 52. And there was a village of Samaria that didn't want to welcome him in. They were like, man, you take all that kingdom of God stuff up the hill, buddy. And so the two brothers offended for their Lord. Did what any rational person would do that doesn't follow Jesus. And they got to the threatening. Let's go to Luke chapter 9, verse 52. Luke chapter 9, verse 52. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. So Jesus says, I've come to bring fire on the earth. Per three chapters before, he certainly can't be talking about a fire calling down from heaven to burn people. Because clearly, when the opportunity to do it, he didn't do it. He actually rebuked that notion and that line of thinking. And so it's very important that we understand what is Jesus getting at here then? He's come to bring fire on the earth. He's come to bring fire on earth. What is that imagery supposed to bring in our hearts and bring to mind? Let's go to John chapter 3, verse 16. You know, I think a lot of times when certain people use a lot of scriptures consistently, we all get the hardness of heart a little bit with certain scriptures. Like we're tired of hearing about John 3, 16. Like there's other things in the Bible. Kick John 3.16 out the scriptures. It needs to be there. And if you're tired of hearing it, then I want to pray for you to pray for your heart to be softened. (laughs) To what the word says. John 3.16. Let's read it. Some of you have already got it memorized. You've never been to church. I never went to church my entire life and I knew this one. (laughs) 
I knew this one. I saw a lot of athletes with this one, man. Random places, Goodyear Tire, just had it up there. I was like, okay. Uh, shout out to Goodyear. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in God in the name of God's one and only son. Verse 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead. My my Internet just jumped on, which is fired up. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that by it, so that they may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So what is Jesus talking about? I believe what Luke chapter 12 is alluding to is the fire on the earth is not so much that Jesus is coming to throw fire on people to say everyone needs to get in line. Jesus is teaching his way and his life will expose something in us that will bring a sort of fire in our own hearts. How we view people, how we think about people. You, when you're confronted with the teachings of Jesus, I have not seen too many people walk away neutral. You either get more fired up about whatever it is you're fired up about and really, uh, really antagonistic against Christians or your heart starts to melt. And you're like, man, I think I want that. Mm-hmm. Seldomly does Jesus like teachings leave you neutral. Mm-hmm. I've been reading these scriptures for the last 15 years. Seldomly am I in a spot where I'm like, hey, I just read that. It, it, it usually brings me one way or another way. Yeah. And so. I said earlier that. Who is God and what's wrong with a little bit of sin as long as it doesn't harm anybody, right? Just a little bit of sin. You know, sin, to whatever degree you introduce it, however little, introduces destruction into God's good creation. Many of us in here have been lied to. And when we find out we've been lied to, it changes the dynamic in a relationship. Many of us in here have been swindled. Especially any of you who grew up in the South, man, it seems like they swindle everybody down there, man. The, the car dealerships are like, I haven't bought a car up here in the Northeast. Maybe it's just as bad. But in the South, man, you're like, oh, they got me. You know, a little cup holder brought the price up $600. <laughs> like, it, it's holding regular water, man. It ain't holding nothing special. But they, 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 they need to nickel and dime you for everything. And so what ends up happening Every car dealership I go to, I'm like, what's going on? What's the hidden fees? Let's go on. Like, I I am skeptical because I've been hurt. (laughs) A little bit of sin. Just a little bit. Not a lot. You know, a little bit of slander. Not a lot. Just, uh, you know, a little bit of defense. Not a lot. What ends up happening is it does something to all of us. Anytime we participate in sin, it does something to all of us. None of us walk away just completely neutral when we are confronted with sin or engage in it ourselves. So the perception that Jesus is trying to help us understand, the perception that Jesus is trying to help us comprehend. You see, I think Paul teases out a little bit more plainly what Luke is talking about here. Second Corinthians chapter 14, verse 16, 14 through 16. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession 
and uses us to spread the aroma and the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death, and to the other, an aroma that brings life. 2 Corinthians chapter 14 um, through verse 16. Chapter 2? Did I say chapter 2? I'm just making sure you were paying attention. I just had to make sure you, you see that I lied just there, right? I wasn't making sure you were paying attention. I was making sure that I got caught handing the cookie jar. See, I just ruined the good creation just a little bit. So chapter 2, verse 14. Chapter 2, verse 14. We'll read it one more time. Chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us as a captive in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death and to the other, an aroma that brings life. You know, Jesus' ministry at this point in Luke chapter 12 is starting to have that kind of feel. Some people are loving it, like the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. They're seeing Jesus' ministry and they're getting pulled in. But there's other people who are seeing Jesus' ministry. And usually most of the time, at least in the gospel, it's the powerful, it's the religious. They're getting pulled away. Like the more he speaks, the more they dislike his ministry. The more he shares and the more things he does, the more he eats with people, the more they dislike his ministry. You see, how we live... Our lives will either draw people closer in love to Jesus or will create resistance. That's just, that's just a reality. One of the repeated fears I have heard over the last three to two years is that Christianity can do so much harm to people. And I think that's true. I think Christianity, I think people can do harm to people, whatever philosophy they, they, they promote. They could do incredible degree of harm to people. I have wrestled and have fought really hard to look at the teachings of Jesus and try to follow Jesus as as faithfully as I can, knowing that I'm not perfect, knowing that I'm going to experience shortcomings and knowing in many ways that shortcomings may potentially harm others. I I acknowledge that. That's just a part of being life, being human. We do that. How many of you are familiar with hip hop artist Lecrae? He's a Christian rap artist. Shout out to Lecrae. Uh, Lecrae has publicly gone through just an incredible season of his life in terms of what he believes about Jesus, what he believes about Christianity, and all this other stuff. So about 2018, 2017 to about recently, he was going through just a rediscovering of his own Christianity. And in the midst of that, there were people who were judging what he was doing, and he was having a hard time. And so in the midst of that, he judged some of them back and it was going back and forth. But then last year, something happened in his own life where he said, I have to distinguish that it was never Jesus who hurt me. It was people in the church, but not all people. And he also acknowledged powerfully, I hurt people. And he's like, Jesus is healing me. He's healing them. We're all on the healing process. We're all on this journey together. And he said, man, I'm committing myself to Jesus. That's who I started with. And that's who I want to end with. And I think when it comes to us in this fear of Christianity potentially harming people, 
any any human can potentially harm someone. But I do think if we are faithfully and consistently returning to Jesus, we go back to the person who can kind of fix the foundation completely. Like Jesus's foundation, as much as I read it, is life and life to the full when I read it. Think about your own testimony and the impact Jesus had on your life. I wake up every morning. It's a part of my discipline, a part of my habit and go through gratitude. And I'm just grateful what God has redeemed me from. I'm grateful what God has saved me from. I look sometimes and I'm just like, man, I was on that trajectory. And I don't say it in a judgmental way as if I'm better than anyone. I'm like, I was on that trajectory and now I'm on this trajectory. And I'm like, only by the mercy and grace of God. Nothing in me. Nothing in me would put me on this trajectory if it wasn't for the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and the work of a lot of you guys here and other places informing Christ in me. You know, some people are not ready to follow Jesus and we need to honor that request. I don't think we got the group right here who harasses anyone. But let's just say you feel compelled, whether it's your child, whether it's a loved one. If they don't want to follow Jesus in this season, you have to honor and respect that. Look at Jesus ministry. He does that with people. People don't want to follow him. He's not like, man, I'm going to keep harassing you. In fact, since you don't want to follow me, I'm going to tell you all the judgment things that are about to happen. He doesn't even end that way. They don't want to follow him. He says, that's it. You know where I'm at. And you know Jesus' heart. Anytime someone does decide they want to follow him, does he be like, okay, now it's time for me to tell you all the ways in which you messed up in the past. That's not Jesus. That doesn't mean we don't need to deal with things in our lives. That doesn't mean we don't need to talk about um, where we need to grow. But I'm just saying Jesus' disposition is not I told you so posture. Mm. It is not that. Praise God. I think some of us, if we were the Lord, we would hear I told you so. And we'll feel really bad about even wanting to come back in the presence of Jesus. But here's also another reality that's really tough. Because a lot of us in here really love our faith, we love Jesus, we love the kingdom, we love the brotherhood, we love the sisterhood, and we really go out of our way to make sure our presentation of the gospel is minimally offensive, right? We don't want to offend anyone unnecessarily. Many of you know I led with this. I like sports. Growing up in South Florida, you know, AFC East, shout out to the AFC East. It's been a tough 30 years, man. 30 plus years, man. It's been tough. Shout out to the Patriots. Y'all, a big part of the reason it's been tough. It's been tough. It's been real tough. You know, we're perpetually 8 and 8. Who wants to wake up and be 8 and 8? Like average. We're going to beat the Patriots once, and they're going to beat us once, but we're just going to be average, and then Brady's going to hoist another Lombardi trophy. Why do I bring that up? Here, I got love for my New England peeps, and I keep my dolphinness to myself, man. We don't need to hear about that. However, prior to me becoming a follower of Jesus, if you were a Patriot fan, it didn't matter if you saved a million people, I still thought you were a scumbag. I'm like, something internally Something's evil going on in your heart. I don't trust you. And even more so if you were a Jets. Which I'm grateful every year they're not winning, right? But if I was in New York, I wouldn't say that. (laughs) I'd be like, shout out to the Jets. I share that to say there are some people who will never like that you're a Christian. It doesn't matter what you do. They will only like you until you denounce Jesus. 
Once you say, I don't believe in Jesus, they're like, now we can finally connect. There's some people who will never like you. And that, guys, we want to pray for those people, but we don't want to be kept up all night about something you can't change and something you got no control over. And I think that's very important. Even as Jesus is doing his ministry, you don't sit back and see him keep tweaking until he has the perfect message that everyone's going to love. He's like, here's the truth that was given to me from the Father, and I'm going to share it with the world. There will be people who we will walk around a fragrance of life and other people will be a fragrance of death. But it's not anything that we're doing antagonistically. Jesus, if we're following Jesus, he isn't antagonistic. He isn't running around like harassing people. So if your Christianity is built on harassment, I call you to repentance. That's not the way of Jesus. But if you're Christianity, you're living your life, you're trying to love Jesus the best way you know how. Someone dislikes you for it. Welcome that. Say blessed, blessed are those. They treated the Lord the same way. So when Jesus says, I have a baptism to undergo, he's talking about his crucifixion. He's like, I'm going to suffer for what I'm talking about. I'm going to suffer for what I'm calling you guys to. He's talking about that. But you know what's on the other end of the baptism? New life. Resurrection, the ascension. He's like, this is where we're going. This is the direction that we're moving in. And, you know, that's Jesus' ministry in a nutshell. Sometimes I think that part of it can be very discouraging for a lot of us. We're like, I just want everyone to love this. This is so amazing. The honey, love the honey. But and, and then there's the part of the, the scriptures that are like, oh, this is bitterness to the soul, man. This is tough that it's in there. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. Wrestle in prayer with the parts that you don't enjoy. Wrestle. Don't be a cynic. Be a doubter and wrestle what's in there. The vision or unity. Luke chapter 12, verse 51 through 53. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No. I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, two against three. They will be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother in law against daughter in law, and daughter in law against mother in law. Complete and utter chaos. You know, the ethics and mission of Jesus differs so radically from everyone around him that the vision in some regard is inevitable. And so with the great emphasis that the the Jewish community had put on family, Jesus' words strikes his hearers probably really strongly. Like, why would this message harm a family? Why would it make it really difficult for a family? If anything, most families should be rejoicing that someone would choose to follow Jesus. Lordship to Jesus requires... It requires that our faithfulness to him is over and above any other loyalties out there. That we yield to Jesus first and foremost. And this can be especially hard for Christian families. Christian families can tend to have the hardest part or or the hardest challenge in actually everyone in the household practicing lordship. There's a number of reasons for that. Because sometimes when you think you're an insider, you cease to do the hard work of looking to see if you're really following Jesus and see if you're calling your family to do it. So there's a family that I'm aware of. They used to steal cable. They don't do cable anymore because everyone streams. So praise God, right? Like now we just take someone's Netflix and share it across the whole community of people. (laughs) But they stole cable. And so one of the members of the family, the the whole household wanted to follow Jesus. They, they, They read the Bible. They went to church consistently. But one of the family members in the household said, you know, I recognize for me personally that this is wrong and I'm participating in watching this. This thing. So that family member, not loudly, just quietly decided not to watch TV at home anymore. 
One day they said, hey, we're watching a TV show. And the family member said, I'd rather not. Then eventually it was asked again, we're watching a TV show. The family member said, I'd rather not. Then they finally said, why don't you want to watch the TV show with us? We're stealing cable. One of the parents said, we're not stealing cable. And then the child said, show me the bill. And then the parent was like, well, it's different. You got to understand. We're getting this because we're friends with such and such. And they work for the cable company. And so the person said, you guys can continue to keep doing it, doing whatever you think you need to do. But for me personally, I'm not going to watch the stolen cable. And so what ended up happening is they had a whole family intervention about this person and their self-righteousness. Like you are radically self-righteous. You think you're better than us because you don't want to watch stolen cable. And so this person is like, dude, I don't care if you watch stolen cable. I don't want to watch it. And then they were like, it's that church, man. They got you thinking that you better than people if you don't watch the stolen cable with us. Let's look at Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. Luke chapter 18, 9 through 14. To some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What was happening was the different lifestyle choice started creating the tension. It wasn't anything this person said. Because I asked, I'm like, are you, are you like coming at them for that? Maybe you, you're like, I don't even say anything. I just didn't do it. I just didn't want to do it. And he was like, I'm like, oh, so they were like, but... Why? I mean, he was like, why are they even bothering me? Like, there's so many other things I do that they don't do, that we don't do. And then why are they coming at me? If anything, we're Christians. We understand this. But he understood very quickly. This person understood very quickly that the teachings of Jesus, when lived, will cause division in certain settings. That's just the reality. That is just a tough reality. And yet. We need to imitate Jesus and not be self-righteous. Like some of us, we have conflict with our family because we went in there guns blazing. You walked in and you were like, man, I saw your watch history and I saw that rated R show, you sinner. You need to take that away. And then the family wasn't reading the scriptures. You woke up in the morning. You were the only one in your family who opened the Bible. So you started going on a tirade. Why no one in here reading the Bible? You bunch of heathens. And everyone is just like, whoa. And now they all dislike you. And you're like, they persecuted me. They're not persecuting you. You were persecuting them. But you like, but you, you, you. love, let your love speak 10 times louder than your words. Your words do need to happen, but let your love speak louder. They will know that you are my disciple, not by what you say, but how you love. John 13, 34 to 35. As so I want to challenge all of us in here, if you are the person who is like a Phineas, you want to, anytime you see, you sniff a little bit of righteous, unrighteousness, slow down. Slow down. Talk. Model what you want to see. And if it's really causing you to struggle, then you can have a heart-to-heart conversation. Like, this is really challenging for me. 
This is challenging and it makes it really difficult. And then you go work that out with the wisdom that the Holy Spirit provides you. But Jesus teaching is not inherently divisive. It's just the outcome that comes with it. Sometimes when you're following Jesus, some people won't like it and they'll cause division. But it's not inherently divisive. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's a teaching. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. This is in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, they'll be called children of God. Sometimes we feel like blessed are the conflict avoiders. <laughs> when we think of peacemaking, we think conflict avoiding. I would argue if that Beatitude would be written, it would be blessed are the con- cursed are the conflict avoiders because theirs is demonic peace. When you're avoiding conflict because you don't want to bring true righteousness to the situation, that's never, it's never good for anyone. It is just the most discouraging thing when you see that there's an ongoing conflict and you just avoid it yeah. and avoid it and avoid it. Peacemaking is noble. We are called as ministers of reconciliation to bring about the peace that God desires. But that requires conflict. There got to be some bumps. For a lot of you in here who are married, all of us probably have participated in some conflict avoidance. You know, sometimes you're like, man, if I bring this up, never with Julian. That's a lie, too. <laughs> like, if I bring this up, it's going to make things worse. You know, especially like when it's like 8 p.m. You know, some of you practice the rule, never get into a disagreement with your spouse late at night, and, I, and I'm with that. But 8 p.m. is like that weird spot where it's like, it's not too late that we could get into it. But it's not early where I could go do something else. You're like, I got to say something. And you say something, the emotions come out, and you got to talk, and you got to keep talking and keep talking, which is good. It's bringing about unity. But I've been a conflict avoider in my marriage. I've been a conflict avoider with some of you. You know, I love convenience. I'm not fearful of anyone in here, but I do love convenience. I know if I bring something up, we're going to have to talk for 20 minutes. And I'm like, man, but the game is going to start. And I want to go to the gym. I don't want to go get something to eat. I don't want to chill. I could bring it up next week. And I, and I got to have a, I got to have a deep conviction that we're going to have the conversation. Even if it takes my 20 minutes, my 30 minutes, sometimes my hour away, we got to have the conversation. But how do we do it? Ephesians 4.15. Instead, speaking the truth in love is how we do it. Now, how do you do that? Does that mean that you just fluff rolls? You never say what's actually actually happening. You just throw a whole bunch of fluff at the situation. Fluff it up until it's all fluffy. No. <laughs> Ephesians 4.29. Let's read a little bit further down. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is useful for building others up in a, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, and brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. How do you speak the truth in love? First and foremost, no unwholesome talk. When we're talking about the division that Jesus' teachings bring, let no one accuse us of unwholesome speech against him. Let none of us accuse each other of unwholesome speech against one another. What's unwholesome? You're so stupid. Like, seriously, you got to be the biggest idiot I know. Oh, you're so emotional. You know, let's throw in those, 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 you know, sometimes when we're talking, 
we're, we're, we're trying to baptize our words, but we, some of us who have not been followers of Jesus know what the words mean. There was a brother, if your heart is pure, don't even try to think about what this word means. But if your heart isn't pure, then you, you will know what this word means. This brother said to his spouse one time, what the fuzzy? He tried to baptize fuzzy. We all know what that word means for those of you who've walked according to the flesh. If you haven't, don't even worry about what that word means. But if someone is saying that, that already puts you out of like, why you got to say that to me? I can't even hear what you got to say anymore. Because now I'm focused on that word. I'm fixated on that word. Like you have introduced something, unwholesome speech. Man, you're an idiot. You're silly. Name calling. All of that is unwholesome. I would even argue passive aggressive speech is unwholesome. You know, you're in a conflict and you send someone an article. Read this article. <laughs> you know, you get like five, five text messages of articles. You're like, yeah, you, you never talk to the person, you just send them an article. <laughs> journal, journal Health Today article. You're like, why am I reading this? You don't even know why you got sent it. <laughs> unwholesome what's the purpose when we're having conflict we want to build people up even if they're wrong like oh when you're talking like this or when you're hurting me in this way this is what you're doing or when you're talking about people in this way you're doing this to people this is what you're doing we want to do it in such a way that they walk away more like jesus wanting to be closer to jesus for those who are in covenant with jesus and how do we do that we rid ourselves of bitterness rage anger brawling slander and every form of malice if your contentions are always shouting at the top of your lungs, threatening, and all this other stuff, whether it's in your marriage or outside your marriage, then you know you're not imitating Jesus in how you have conflict. You know, one of the things that um, a lot of you practice, but it's just really important when we're talking about conflict, we, we, we got to be careful that we're not manipulating each other. You know, say things like, if you don't do this, I'm going to hurt myself. If you don't do this, I'm going to divorce you. If you, that, that's, not, that's not the spirit of Christ talking. That isn't how Jesus talks to us, nor does he want us to talk to people. We want to be kind and compassionate. It doesn't mean you need to be a people pleaser and ignore the conflict. You could be kind and compassionate, just like Jesus, and still say really tough things. Read all of Matthew 23. That was completely out of kindness and compassion that he said all those tough things. They were really tough. Now, some of you in your heart, you're like, but what about the flipping table, Jesus? That's the only table, Jesus, you're even aware of. You know, there's so many different chapters of who Jesus is. And you're like, no, he made a cord and whip and he flipped the table. That's that's the season I'm in right now. That's following a form of Jesus. That's not actually following Jesus. Read and understand why he became the whip and flipping table, Jesus. A lot of times it doesn't align with what we generally think he should be flipping tables for. My dinner wasn't ready. Ah, righteous indignation. You're like, relax, dude. <laughs> I don't think Jesus would have flipped any table because his dinner wasn't ready. Oh, someone touched my book. You touched my book. You moved it. Ah, this is just, you know, one of, the, one of the sayings that we have as a culture is I want to be brutally honest. Let's just be honest. Let's imitate Jesus and just be honest. We don't need to add brutally honest. There doesn't need to be any brutality in this. Let's just fight for honesty. And understand, sometimes the truth does hurt and then and we can't do anything about that. That's because the Holy Spirit is convicting us of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. But you should go in with the intent to build people up. 
And I, that doesn't mean the fluffy stuff, but the really, like, I'm having this tough conversation with you because I want to see Christ formed in you. That's for people who are within covenant. Now, Paul does say for something for people outside of covenant. Let's go to Romans 12. So everything we just looked at in Ephesians 4 is for people within covenant, people who are following Jesus and trying to be like Jesus. That is how we should model our conflicts. This is now what we're going to look at in Romans 12 is for people who aren't following Jesus and don't desire to follow Jesus. But we're in proximity to them, whether they're family, their co-workers, their neighbors. All right. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 through 21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. So if your neighbor slung some dog poop on your yard, you don't wake up in the morning and sling the dog poop back at them. You throw the poop away. Be careful what to do to do what is right in everyone's eyes. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What, what is Paul alluding to? Sometimes some people you just can't live at peace with. But so far as you can control it, you strive for it. Some people be like, I just hate everything about you. And you be like, amen. Verse 19. Do not take revenge. My dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. This is not a passage you send to your neighbor, right? You're like, I'm putting this into practice. huh? That's... That, that, that's passive, and I just said that isn't wholesome. <laughs> but it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. That dog pooper who slings their dog, feed them. If thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing so, you'll heap coals on their head. Paul is still working on his spiritual formation, too. <laughs> but do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let it be, if there's a microphone in your house, if, you're, if your co-worker, neighbor, family member heard you speaking about them, they would not walk away and see that's what they really think about me. Mm-hmm. Let it be, if they, they, they hear you spoken about in your house in private, they're like, oh, that's pretty kind. Like, hey, yeah, you know, it's really challenging. I don't know why they don't like us, but it's really challenging, man. Anyhow, let's pray for them. And then you move on about your life. You're like, oh, that's what they think about me. Instead of constantly repaying evil for evil, even in a passive way. Mm-hmm. Jesus' ministry is amazing for me. This journey has been life-giving to me. It's been healing. Overall, it's been one of great joy for me personally. Now, there have been ups and downs in my journey, but it's been great joy. The hardships at varying points can be unsettling. But this is why I make it my habit to consistently read Scripture and go back to Jesus' teachings primarily and see what he's doing and see what he's thinking and seeing if I'm aligned with what Jesus is doing and thinking. And so when I encounter hardship because of my faithfulness to Jesus, I realize it isn't a bug in the system, but it's part of it. It's a feature of following Jesus that sometimes I will encounter hardship. But this is the way of life. So what's the practical for this week? Keep reading Luke. Keep reading Luke. We're, we're, we're in Luke chapter 12. If you're ahead or behind, amen. If you don't want to read Luke, Jesus still loves you. But I wanted to paint this picture because I think it's really important that we understand that this is a component of Jesus' ministry. The hardships is a component of Jesus' ministry. And I want us to be prepared emotionally for that. So Jesus comes to bring fire on the earth. When he comes, sometimes he brings the fire to our own hearts and we realize that we're not in alignment with who Jesus is. And he gently guides us to repentance. Let's have a moment of reflection, then we'll pray for communion.